Hello, hello. Welcome back to A Life Extraordinary. I'm your show host, Roberto, and I'm delighted to have you back today. As you might have seen on my Instagram stories, I am sitting on a bed in a tower overlooking the marina in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And I'm thinking about giving you the absolute best places to go on incredible adventures in all of Canada. Sometimes I sit there and I wonder, like, you know, what am I going to talk about next episode? And, and the brainstorming doesn't often take too long, that being Today, I, I just thought to myself, what am I going to post? And, and, uh, and I started scrolling through my... And I said, you know, what, what do I have here that I think might be exciting for people? And I'm like, Roberto, you know everything about the most beautiful and spectacular places in Canada. So just talk about today what you know. You know, it's Christmas <laughs> in some parts of the world and others not yet. <laughs> but um, it, it's just that time of year where I guess it's a lot of reflecting on on life of the past year and what's not. And I reflected by looking through my feed and realized that indeed the pandemic made me explore Canada in ways that uh, few people ever do. And already I had gone deep and far and north and west and east, but, uh, but during the pandemic, uh, we were forced most definitely to spend even more time in the wild. And so I thought I would give you all of my coolest, wackiest, some most creative, some for the athletic, some for the not-so-athletic, adventures to do uh, in Canada. Now, as you all know, uh, this is a, an app that, that's wonderful for us to be able to chat and whatnot, and I'm really excited to get my, my first people on uh, interviews on the show coming up. Um, but remember, you know, I have my wife call in, I have some friends have called, some strangers as well, and uh, you can ask, interact, and uh, that's one of the really cool things about this app. But the, in order to do that, you have to catch it live. So I know most people listen afterwards or, bef uh, or before. Wait, how does that work? <laughs> afterwards. Um, and so, so if you want to catch live and, and be part of the show, all you've got to do is get in the queue and call in, and, and we can have a chat about whatever it may be. And in this case... Perhaps uh, you'd be telling me what your favorite spots in Canada are. But I'm going to kick it off with Maline Lake. Uh, this lake is in Jasper National, Jasper National Park in Canada, in Alberta. It's got three glaciers visible from the lake. It's one of the deepest lakes in Canada, 13, 318 feet deep. The lake is 22.5 kilometers long, and most tourists of the millions, actually, that visit Alberta will take a boat that takes you to Spirit Island as the only motorboat allowed on the lake. And this boat takes you uh, through these emerald waters and, and a crown of mountains and glaciers that overlook it. It's, it's one of the most beautiful lakes I've ever been to in my entire life. And this is why I go back time and time again. Now, for the people that, uh, that are a bit less adventurous, then, then yes, this is a wonderful way to experience seeing Moline Lake. Uh, I don't know how much it costs to go on that ferry. I've never actually gone on it. It's not a ferry. It's more like a six, 60, 40 passenger boat. Um, and, uh, and often the people on the boat are taking pictures of me. <laughs> yeah. And they're going like, what's that wacky Canadian doing over there? 
he's he's paddling and and sometimes it's big waves and sometimes it's uh nicer conditions but oftentimes the conditions just are on that lake are very rough so as uh, so it is and what am i doing on that lake that people are pointing at and saying like hey look and taking pictures of us and whatnot and what i'm usually doing is either sea kayaking or canoeing and Pre-kids, um, we would go by sea kayak along this 22 and a half kilometer lake, and we camp at three different spots on the lake. And oftentimes, I start at night. And being experienced on on uh, wa- big water lakes and, and waves and cold water, because this is also known to be the coldest lake in Canada. So, um, so you don't want to fall into this one. And I'll tell you a story about. Uh, a few dangers on that lake, but a few times on that lake, I was paddling with Bella, my wife, and she was petrified because the waves just started to kick up on us. Imagine you're in this cold, emerald, mountainous lake. There's no boats around. The ferry boat usually gives us wide berth uh, because they do create waves. Um, and uh, and a few times the waves kicked up, and and my lady at the time was like, "Oh man, this is really rough. We got to land now." You know, I'm not comfortable in these waters, and and rightly so, because even with the dry suits, we'd have like five minutes of before we go hypothermic uh, in the waters like that. Because when your hands are exposed still, often the gloves aren't on, uh, your head gets chilled. So the dry suit does so much, but uh, in my case, I would probably have 15 minutes. In my lady's case, 10, five to 10. <laughs> so you don't tip. So um, and so we go to we go to shore. Uh, and then we we just wait until until we can paddle. But one of the greatest adventures that I do time and time again is going to go kayak camping or canoe camping on Moline Lake in Jasper National Park. And the reason is is that it's one of the most stunning views to be on this emerald lake in beautiful, pristine wilderness Canada. Uh, and the, the light, the way it reflects, and the weather changes dramatically every single Every 20 minutes, it's a block of new weather. It's like, just wait, and you'll have sunny, and then you'll have minus nine, and that's in July. <laughs> yeah. So so it it definitely can get rough. It definitely can get harrowing, but it is spectacular. And I have gone six times. And the last time that I was paddling there, uh, uh, I went with a buddy of mine, and um, because now I have several kids, but I'll tell you, I, did, I have gone with two kids. Uh, on two kids, one kid, one kid on this on this trip, and um, and this we met this girl at Coronet Creek. So it's one thing to to paddle to Spirit Island, which is actually isn't technically an island, but it's this spectacular little peninsula with an island on the end and three tall trees, uh, pine trees, and with the view of the lake. So it's it's really neat. But that's at around kilometer ten. The ten kilometers past Spirit Island on the lake, where the motorboats. That, that, that does the guiding, doesn't go on, is unreal. Photos of mine uh, from, from being there have been published in magazines, billboards, um, so, so, uh, catalogs, uh, trade show booths, um, all these neat spots uh, because it is very, very uh, impressive. Um, so that's definitely a lake that I recommend you either go canoe camping, kayak camping, um, I'm going to be guiding some trips there uh, next summer, uh, ideally as well. Uh, so you can always inquire about that with uh, our business adventures done right. Um, then um, you can also rent an outfitter canoe on that lake. And for the people that aren't uh, experienced paddlers, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd highly recommend that because um, 
because if it could get pretty harrowing pretty quickly if you're not accustomed to suddenly having going from glassy waters to three foot chop. So I do recommend uh, if you're not accustomed to the paddling to, to using that, uh, that type of vessel. Um, a, a few stories. So we did go uh, on that lake canoe camping with Mikio when he was about a year old and um, we started at night. So uh, not many people are comfortable paddling in the middle of the dark uh, at night, but we are because we are avid paddlers. One second, let me wet my lips with the wine that you saw on my Instagram. Hey, it is what it is. Some days we need <laughs> a little bit more motivation. <laughs> mm. And I dare say my dad buys good wine. So, um, so we're on this list. So we start, so it's my, my toddler, my wife, myself, and a friend of ours, uh, in another, he's in a kayak. We're in a canoe. Uh, Mikio's in the bow. It's about seven o'clock at night and it's pitch black and we're paddling out on the lake from the put-in. And, uh, we've gone about 200, 300 meters when, uh, when we see the patrol boat from, there's one, ranger boat on the lake and he goes out twice a day just to make sure everything's kitten canoodle um and uh, mostly making sure people aren't camping where they shouldn't be and in case anybody needs anything they do that so this this boat uh from parks canada uh sees us are reflecting and paddling in the middle of the lake in the dark and they and we see them come over very safely very cautiously because when motorboats come near uh, vessels that are not motorboats it's much appreciated not to have a wave splashing all over your deck and um and so they come over and uh they're about to say hey we're going to be doing some exercises and training and rescue exercises on the lake so just to be aware uh we didn't know there'd be anybody paddling in the middle of the dock on uh, on tonight on the lake. And then he looks and he's like, he looks at the bow of the canoe and he's like, wait, is that? And we're like, yeah, we got our one-year-old with us. And, uh, he's just in the bow of the canoe and he's watching on the iPad, um, in a waterproof case <laughs> because sometimes, you know, it took us three hours of packing the boats and, uh, and he was getting impatient and, and on an adventure like that, uh, you need peace and quiet on a canoe sometimes, even if you have the song Mary go round going through your head as you paddle. <laughs> but uh, the parks ranger said, oh, uh, oh, that's really cool. Um, you obviously seem experienced in this, uh, so no, no concerns. He said, no, 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 not at all. Uh, okay, thank you very much. And uh, for the rest of the evening, we actually didn't see the park ranger uh, doing the exercises around us because uh, later on we found out he decided to go to the other end of the lake to do their exercises, not to cause waves on a dark lake, for canoes that have, uh, or a canoe and a kayak that have a toddler in it, <laughs> almost infant slash toddler. And that was very nice, but even cooler and very all Canadian was that he uh, brought us some wood to one of the campsites so that when we arrived at around, I think we paddled like five hours that night. So that would have been uh, midnight when we arrived to our camp spot uh, at midnight. And by that time in, in a place like this, you're, you're hovering around minus three, minus four. So it was crisp that night from what I remember. And uh, so it was much appreciated to arrive to the firewood that the park ranger had left us there. And the day after, we paddled another 10 kilometers to Coronet Creek, which is a spectacular, spectacular campground, world-class spot to, to paddle to. And um, and while we were there, we found out that he had left us another batch of wood. That being said, there was also a giant amount of bear scat uh, on our camp spot uh, from a grizzly bear that was in the area. So 
while we appreciate the word, we're like, hmm. And, you know, at the time, normally we would never have, excuse me, normally we would never have any uh, scented anything in the tent because in Canada it's very well known. You don't put anything that smells like anything in the tent unless you want a bear paying you a nice visit. And um, and so we didn't have any uh, anything except when you have a toddler, he has creams for his bum and he has diapers that are scented and he may or may not have crushed crackers in his jacket (laughs) so there's only so much you can do um and so we were a little bit more wary on that trip with the the bear scat uh, from a grizzly and a toddler but i digress all this to say absolutely wonderful oh no i have one more story i'm sorry i have one more story about this trip on the return from that trip, we had some really big waves. And uh, now, in a canoe, if you have the waves hitting your your broadside, uh, it's very uncomfortable and it makes the canoe very vulnerable to tipping. Now, if you have the canoe pointed straight at the waves that are going towards you, then you're able to cut through them, albeit you are a fat canoe going through uh, waves cutting at you, unlike a sea kayak that would cut through them much ni- much more nicely. So... So we're in the canoe, and we've got Mikio in the bow, our buddy's in his kayak, and uh, Wangsu, our friend, and he says, um, hey, guys, he, he's paddled with us many years, but for like eight years we didn't see him. He was living in Mexico, and, and he come, came back, and he's like, hey, guys, I, I know my limits, and these waves in the kayak are too much for me to feel comfortable with because I know if I dip, well, uh, likely to die. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm going to cut along the shoreline um, and stay within a few meters from shore all the way back. We've got about 18 kilometers at that point left. And uh, and I understand that. And I'm like, yeah, Wangsu, yeah, yeah, you go ahead. Um, and Shireen and I, Bella, you know, Bella's her nickname, Shireen's her real name. Um, and uh, Bella and I are like, you know what? We, we're comfortable in this. We know these waves are rough, but, and we do have, a child in the canoe that if we were to tip, there's a high likelihood that everybody could die because uh, the conditions are so. But we are experienced in this. And so while for one family, it might be extraordinarily dangerous and uh, kind of stupid to get out there in conditions like that, um, for us, I know that I will not let the canoe tip, simply put. I could have the most harrowing waves and and rough conditions, but I'm experienced enough after 25 years of paddling or more um, that I can handle canoe. And you ask, well, how do you keep a canoe from tipping in some pretty big waves? Well, for one, you keep it pointing into the waves. And while this might, uh, you still get slosh over into, into the boat, um, it's still part, uh, you, the boat won't tip. And, and I, the, the second thing is that I brace the canoe with my knees. So I'm in the stern and I control the canoe from the back of the boat. Uh, and then my lady is the engine in, in the front. And between us, uh, we make, and I am, I'm a machine. <laughs> so I know that, that, that we just, our decision to cut through the middle of the lake and be a few hundred meters from shore in the canoe in these really rough conditions was, was going to be okay because I was within my comfort level of what I know I can do and if worst case scenario what I could do to get back towards shore but uh, so we actually cut through the middle of the lake and 
and it's in times like these that we're grateful that Mikio is they're exhausting paddle days and he just fell asleep in the bow of the canoe while while we paddled and we cut through the middle of the lake uh, all the way back now um, there are many stories in Canada of people that fall into water that are un uh, unprepared or inexperienced or simply the water is just too cold um, and for our boy you know we, we wish we could have him in a dry suit but what we do have him in is in a wetsuit when we're doing, when it's a harrowing, rough condition day, I just throw his wetsuit on. Um, and so that way I know that if, if we do fall in the water, he's got a lot, <laughs> you know, of anybody, he will be the best, <laughs> in best condition. But in certain trips, I will have him in a wetsuit and a dry suit uh, like we do. Uh, because that's the type of adventures we do. But anyway, so that lake <laughs> uh, is one of the most incredible adventures, and I highly recommend you go on it, whether it's taking the little ferry boat that goes to Spirit Island and back. Uh, the lake is called Maline uh, Lake in Jasper National Park, or whether you do a canoe trip or a kayak trip. If anybody wants to do a trip with us, we're planning on doing them uh, in the future, guiding as well, because that's another business that we've recently started. Well, I've recently started. So number two on my list on the most incredible adventures is going to sleep on the Tundra Buggy Lodge in Churchill, Manitoba, in Canada. And this is this incredible train-like um, uh, giant 40-foot wheels, um, 40 feet, that's a bit exaggerated. Uh, that would be, I'd say, about 10 feet tall, 15 feet tall tires. <laughs> I wasn't too exaggerated, but <laughs> and uh, and this is a place to go see the polar bears, and it's the highest concentration of polar bears in the entire world. Um, there's about a thousand polar bears that hang out in the, around the James uh, Bay area, and James Bay is this big bay in the top of Canada. If you look at uh, look at a map and you see Quebec and Ontario, and right above it is James Bay. And what's really unique about it is that the lower portion of it is fresh water. And because it's fresh water, it freezes um, much sooner in the season. And so the polar bears that are very hungry at this point head to the shores to get on the ice, which will freeze sooner than it would uh, if it were salt water. And so they can get on the ice and they can hunt seals. And therefore, <laughs> well, who wants food sooner is happier. <laughs> one moment, one moment here. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so this, so, so this lodge is basically, imagine three giant train cars or four giant train cars on these giant w tires that go out onto the tundra and the polar bears all come up against the tires and are around the cars. And these are some of the most deadliest animals in the world because they have to survive in some of the most desolate and hard climates. And so... To be able to be around them, to photograph them, to just look at them uh, is quite spectacular and, and in such close quarters. Indeed, we, instead of being the bears in a cage, we are the ones in a safe cage. And, uh, and so you sleep on this actual tundra buggy, uh, kind of like a train car, except it's two little berths on the side. So you open the curtain and it's a bunk on the right side and that's like kind of like a little capsule and so upstairs on the top was my lady and on the bottom uh myself they're like single person uh spots and uh and then the last train car is uh the dining cart and of course i wonder why the bears tend to come hang out 
so much in the area. And well, the bacon and the sausage and the eggs that the chef is cooking up in the morning and lunch and dinner just must by no means attract these bears to the area. And there's so many in the area that are just waiting for the ice to form so that they can go up, hunt the seals. Um, is is uh, obviously they, they tend to congregate, and it, but it's quite special to see because you see bear polar bears sparring between each other and whatnot. A lot of people don't know that polar bears are actually marine mammals, and they uh, can swim up to like sixty kilometers. Um, so they're technically seen more as sea mammals than they are um, uh, land mammals. But anyways, this is a really really unique unique trip. It is very expensive. Uh, I, I believe this these days uh, the tundra buggy costs to go on the lodge about nine thousand dollars per person. So uh, it's it's a pretty penny, and that's three nights on the tundra buggy. That's two nights flight from Winnipeg, and uh, and there it's just so very very well worth it. Fortunately, we got it sponsored much many many years ago. Um, and it's definitely an experience of a lifetime and one of the coolest, most incredible adventures to do in Northern Canada. Now you're doing this trip, uh, in November because that's when the bears come close, uh, to, to, to get to the ice and whatnot. Um, so, so you also have the opportunity to see the Northern lights when you're there. And, uh, we might imagine like a four day, five, five day trip is like several grand, and we stayed two weeks because uh, due to our social media influencing, this was our work. So in order to, uh, one thing that we do is we get all of the places to sponsor us. So we did the tundra bike, we did dog, dog sledding, we stayed at uh, this inn, that inn, we, those restaurants sponsored us. So we get everything uh, together and that allows me to create the content for the brands that I shoot for over a lot, much longer period of time than normal people would, because just to be there for a few days is several thousand dollars. So, uh, so it's really one of the really neat ways in which we, we've hacked life for the last uh, 10 years. And we were early movers in that, so still very proud of that. But anyways, all this to say, one of the best uh, trips of my life uh, in uniqueness is the Tundra Buggy Lot lodge um the company we went with is called frontiers north adventures and uh highly recommend family-owned business from what i remember um also when you're in churchill because that's the town that you you fly up to um there's lots of signs everywhere saying like please don't go for walks there are polar bears everywhere and they are very dangerous and uh my lady and i are accustomed to our evening walks although not so much since we've had kids um, and, uh, and we would go walking out every evening and the year after, uh, there was or the same year, my dates might be off one year after, or the same year, a few weeks later, there was a lady that was attacked by a polar bear in the village while she was just walking around and a guy pushed the polar bear off her with a pickup truck. So perhaps heed their warning unless you don't want to be polar bear lunch. And uh, frequently you'll see helicopters that are actually picking up problem polar bears from Churchill and displacing them back into the wild in the hopes that they haven't gotten accustomed to coming to all the scents uh, of the town. But 100% one of the most unique experiences uh, to go live live on that tundra buggy lodge, live to stay on it for, for a few days. Um, Wet wine break. It's very hot in Puerto Vallarta, you know. I must, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. So, um, number three on my most incredible adventures in Canada is a quintessential one, 
And it's one of which the expeditioners, our concept, is born of, which is to go canoe camping. Um, the fur traders and fur trappers of of early, early uh, Canadian days is how our country was founded because the Hudson uh, Bay James Company would go and uh, and trade for all these furs and, and that commercialization is kind of what made us a country in the end of the day. But they used to use the, the quintessential vessel of a Canadian, a canoe, usually in red too. I don't know about that part, but, <laughs> and uh, they were wearing toques, but that part, yes. Um, and so, uh, so these trappers would basically use canoes to crisscross Quebec and Ontario uh, and some of the other provinces as well in order to get these furs from place to place, because there is no better network of roads when you're using the wilderness than lakes and rivers. And and what we, what I did as a kid uh, was I went to canoe camps in, in Montreal based out of the YMCA and a good way for my parents to get rid of me <laughs> every summer. And, uh, and what we would do is we'd go on these canoe trips for six or seven days in uh, phonic reserves and uh, provincial parks. And, and they're called uh, like La Vérendrie, Papineau Labelle, both in Quebec, Tamagami in Ontario. And Quebec has like, purported 3 million bodies of water. So conceptualize that. We have like 3%. I still say we because I was born and raised there, but we have like 3% of Earth's renewable resources. Um, 40% of that is in the St. Lawrence watershed, um, which is that whole area where we do all the canoe uh, tripping. And so that love of canoe camping as a kid um, made me become who I am today because uh, over the years we I, I continued to love that when I was 16 and had my license and grab the car and go as far as I could drive and go canoeing in places that I just looked at a map and I'm like I want to go there and it was pre-social media uh, so there was no I want to go there because I want to show that I want to go there it was that I went there. I want to go there because I just want to go there. It's on a map. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it looks like a lovely lake in the middle of nowhere. And so that's how I plan most of my trips. And a lot of these friends, including Wangsu, who I mentioned a lot on my podcast, um, is, uh, would, would come with me and to these folly adventures. Um, and, and that's what was the seed of the expeditioners because I continued doing that since I was 16 and that developed into sea kayaking and the sea kayaking developed into international trips, hotels, villas, and then that developed into luxury properties and then that developed into simply having a constant uh, uh, slew of companies that I shoot for. And, and so it all came from canoe camping and it's still one of my favorite things to do in Eastern Canada is you go on a four, five, six seven-day trip, um, you have a canoe, you do lots of portages. And portages basically mean where you carry your canoe and all your gear across and over to another lake. And by this way, you are using the routes that the traditional voyageurs used to use back in the heyday. Now, um, we I, I still do that as an adult. And, and one of the most special lakes that uh, is a small one. So for those Eastern Canadians, Northeastern Americans, or international travels that would ever come to, uh, to Quebec, here is how you do it. You uh, arrive in Montreal, for example. You go to the Mech store, which is the equivalent of an REI in the United States. 
You buy whatever gear you might need, or if you don't want to buy it, you rent it. And you can rent like tents, sleeping bags, mattresses, uh, stove, uh, paddles, and canoe from that store if you want. But if you don't have a car that you want to put it on, because you can rent it from those places, but if you don't have a car that you want to put it on, then you can also rent it from the Phonic Reserve or the provincial park that you're going to. So you just have to check in advance which place you want to rent it from. But uh, you pick up all the stuff you want there, and then you hit the road, and you go to a place called Papino La Belle. And there's a lake called Lac des Sept Frères, which is the Lake of Seven Brothers. And, and it's small, long, beautiful, lush and verdant, and you can do a few portages and do... Uh, hop from a few lakes to Lac Montjoie and you do a, what's called a, un circuit, which is a circuit. Um, and so you do a loop back to your, your canoe spot. And this is the place that's very special to me that I used to go first as a kid when I was 10 at canoe camp. Uh, then as a teenager that got, late teenager that got his license um, and would often go back there and often as a weekend warrior. So you could, that's definitely a lake if you want to go for a night or two um, or six. It all depends what loop you're doing. Um, and But most especially now that I have children, it's uh, the first place that I took Mikio camping. And uh, for those that don't know, I did name my children after the stars. Mikio is Mikio Orion, Orion the Constellation. Uh, Ariella is Ariella Cassiopeia. Uh, also constellation and uh, Catalina was supposed to be named uh, Catalina Sofia Aurora Gibbons but all my friends told me that that was just going to be too long <laughs> and uh, and so Sofia is after my mom Aurora is off after the Auroras and by George she does have that character so spot number three to go to most definitely canoe camping in Ontario or Quebec um if you ever need any information on that, just uh, reach out to me. Uh, and it is magic. You arrive to your camp spot, you build a fire. In Canada, we're able to build fires in lots of different camp spots. Not not that much regulation, but as long as you're safe, you're all good. Um, lake, so warm and clean that you can jump and swim in. Loons at night, no light pollution because you're in the middle of nowhere, although you're actually only two, three hours from Montreal. And um, and sublime, just absolutely sublime. So highly, highly recommend canoe camping in Quebec. Now, for those that know me, kite surfing is a big part. Uh, well, is a big part. I don't feel I have done enough in the last two years, but is a big part of my life since I learned to do it about five or six years ago. And it's just a liberating sport where you get on your board, you whip your kite in the sky, and you fly. And the first time when I was learning to kite and I looked and I was inquiring about it, I, you look at this gear and you're just like, where the F am I going to start on like understanding how this sport works? And it's intimidating and it's daunting and you're just like, nah, I don't know. And, and, so many people told me, you know, it's a lot easier than it looks. And they're so right. Once you learn to kite, it's like riding a bicycle. Like you could do it blindfolded, almost, almost literally. And I have kited in the, at night as well. <laughs> so in a way, yes. Uh, but that's for, well, maybe, maybe for another story. But um, so in Canada, there's a few spots that are my favorite for kite surfing. And one is particularly because of the kiting. 
and two, I think in equal importance, is the comfort, adventure, uh, uniqueness of each spot. So the first one that I recommend is the Magdalen Islands, which is an archipelago in the St. Lawrence uh, waterways, I, which is part of Quebec, even though technically it's closer to... Um, PEI and, and uh, some of the, our other provinces, uh, it is still part of Quebec. It's 205 square kilometers. Uh, you've got this red and gray sandstone rock that surrounds the island. Massive, broad, long, sandy beaches whipped by the wind, which as a kite surfer, we love. And... Um, one of the really neat things, well, there's a few really neat things about this island. It's kind of quirky, is that the entire island has these colored houses. And they're very, very picturesque, almost out of a storybook. And there's half the island is English and half the island is French. And there's literally a divider. Now, for a guy that was born and raised in Montreal and, and is fluently trilingual, but, but bilingual for that, uh, for that region... Um, sure, in Montreal, we've got, you know, it's a mishmash. You go to the corner store and you've got somebody speaking to you in French and you turn around and you're speaking to the guy in English. But this island, even though it's only like 12,500 people, half the island speaks only English and half the island speaks only French. I mean, how funny is that? That on an island as so, people wouldn't have adapted to be more bilingual, whereas... In places like Montreal, we are a, a culture of being very bilingual, multicultural city and, and applauding that. But on this island, it's like, on my side, I am English. And on your side, you are French. And I don't understand you. Mais qu'est-ce que dit, toi? Je te comprends pas. <laughs> but um, we actually filmed one of our Discovery Channel episodes. Uh, so we had a show on Discovery Channel four years ago, five years ago, hey, time flies. And, um, and one of the islands, one of the episodes was about us taking a Jeep because the show was done in conjunction of Jeep and Discovery. And we went to this, uh, to the Magdalene Islands. And this is actually not our first time. I wonder where they got the idea to send us there. <laughs> because we, one of the, it was just following what we really tend to do as a lifestyle. And on this island, we, we kite surfed. And one of the really wonderful things is that you could go to the port and ask the fisherman to buy his lobster from him. So you buy some lobster and you buy some oysters. You take your kite out on the beach. You dig a hole in the sand. You make a fire. You put a pot and you have an eloquent, a spectacularly sumptuous dinner uh, on a beach after a long day of feeling your muscles uh, just awesome and flying on your kite surfing. So Magdalen Islands, definitely a Maritime's best kept secret for, for our country. Um, I will be back again. You know, my brother, I think, was inspired to go there. And, uh, and he, he's cute because he's like, I think after he left there, um, he's like, I'm going to buy a house there. <laughs> um, his wife's Quebecois, so he's from the region. And so they they immediately loved it. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just buy a house there. And I don't think they ever did. But that's the, that's the wonder of traveling to places that touch you so, is that when you go there and you have such an amazing time, you're like, oh, wow, I, this could be my dream destination to live and stay and and be <laughs> so so i found it really neat he's an er doctor in 
in Toronto. So I tip my hat to you, Paul. I don't know if you listen to this. I know. I think your wife will. But um, but I tip my hat to you on uh, keeping us all safe because he's on the, he's on the front lines of all this fun COVID stuff. While while I'm the hippie brother that's drinking a glass of wine while he's doing his podcast. Hi, Charlie. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thanks for the awesome support. All righty then. Um, next spot. Hmm, shit, shall I recommend this one or that one? Wow, I could go for, I had actually planned, and I'm looking at my notes in front of me. Uh, technically, at the speed I'm going at versus the speed I thought I was going to be going at, I could talk to you for like six hours <laughs> on the places of where to recommend uh, to go to Canada. So I think I'm going to go next on to um, the Northwest Territories. I'll make it brief because I've spoken a lot about it before on the podcast. But uh, the Northwest Territories is one of the most unique and incredible adventures in Canada simply because it is what it is hands down, in my opinion, the best place in the world to see the Northern Lights. Now, in a succinct version of what I've said on some previous podcasts, the uh, solar flares emitted from the sun that hit our atmosphere get uh, sent to the poles of our planet, and that's why the north and the south areas are when we where we tend to see the northern lights. But you have to find somewhere where you don't have cloud cover, because in Iceland, while you may have the northern lights shining every day, you still have a lot of condensation in the air. So in between the condensation and the clouds, the lights look very dim. But in the Northwest Territories, it's very dry. And it's technically like a desert type of um, environment. And therefore, you don't, you have very little snow. It's freaking cold, <laughs> like minus 40 to minus 50 Celsius sometimes. And I think in Fahrenheit, at those temperatures, it's pretty much the same. And and it's just, just biting, biting cold. But what that makes for is crisp, cold nights. And often people say the Northern Lights are best seen when the night is cold. And that is because when there's very little cloud cover and therefore creating uh, a heat shield on the Earth from that uh, area, um, from the clouds down, then uh, it's very cold because all of the heat is evaporated up into the air as well that the Earth emanates. So... But also, when you don't have clouds, you don't have humidity. And if you don't have humidity, you have crisp views of the northern lights, which is why you can see the northern lights far, far brighter in uh, the Northwest Territories than you can in a place like Iceland or Norway or uh, some of these other countries. Granted, granted, in these other countries, there are nights that you can. And when I've shown videos to... Icelanders of the Northern Lights that I've seen in the Northwest Territories, they look at these videos and they're like, wow, I've only seen them once like that. I think like every Icelander said the same thing. It's like, I've only seen them once like that. Yes, that is wild. <laughs> right, so Northwest Territories, uh, again, self-promotion a little bit, I guess. Um, I've started a guiding company. I used to tell people, I will never guide people I just go and I do my shooting and now I'm like, you know, um, I think it's pretty cool. And the experiences that I have with the guests are really neat. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we were planning on guiding a trip in September to the North of the Territories, but unfortunately it is the only part of Canada that is currently completely closed to the rest of the country. Uh, their infrastructure simply can't take COVID 
And while I thought we were going to be able to get up there this September, because we are overdue on our biannual trips to the Northwest Territories, uh, we are not able to. Now, the best way to do that trip to see the Northern Lights in the Northwest Territories, in my version of Canada's Most Incredible Adventures, is to do, do a canoe or kayak trip. And uh, normally every two years, excuse me, <coughs> uh, normally every two years, we... Um, we go and we do this trip. And uh, what we do is we see kayak on Great Slave Lake, which is this massive lake. I think it's the deepest lake in Canada, and one of the biggest for sure. And uh, so the waves get ocean-like. And we kayak on this lake, but there's no, no light pollution. There's no civilization out there aside from Yellowknife, which is technically a tiny town. And so we you, you see the Northern Lights in the most magical ways while you're camping on these picturesque and tiny islands. And and this is why I've been dying to take people there. But unfortunately, at the moment, it doesn't look like uh, we're going to have a window. But if we do, stay tuned. Um, our company is called, our guiding company is called Adventures Done Right. And we're going to Africa February 6th to 23rd. And I'll be podcasting from there. Also, uh, on another note, I'm going to be creating these new little uh, snippet podcasts. Still not sure whether to do it from uh, An Incredible Life, because the whole An Incredible Life is, talks about how we have lived an incredible life, but um, an extraordinary life, um, but also in, in regards to how we'll be interviewing people that live a life extraordinary in their own way. So, so this one, I'm still, not, I'm still mulling how I'm going to do it, but it's the, basically while... I'm on a ski lift. I'm going to be having a chat with the guy on the ski lift about local things and whatnot. And I'm going to have them as like these snippet podcasts. And then maybe when I'm down by the water with the fishermen and I'll have a snippet podcast in Puerto Vallarta. So, uh, so another thing to stay tuned for, for us adding uh, really neat snippets about uh, our adventures. So I do have so much more to share uh, on destinations, but I think I guess I'll keep this for a part two for tomorrow uh, and come back to you with the rest of the spectacular places I would recommend in Canada. I didn't realize that because so many of these places I am in awe of and, and tip my hats and say, wow, they are truly the best of Canada when you want to do an adventure, that I spoke about each of them so much longer than I even imagined that I would. Because, you know, I, in my notes, I just write, okay, talk about uh, this trip and, and that. Uh, and I end up just going on and on and on about each one because they are wondrous. So I hope you'll come back. Uh, thank you for listening on a Christmas Eve and for those that uh, might catch the episode later on as well. And uh, is it Christmas Eve in some places? And, um, and I'll be back tomorrow with the rest of my favorite spots in Canada. And uh, for the Northern Lights uh, shot as well, if you look at actually the, uh, the image of A Life Extraordinary, which we're going to be editing and adjusting soon, <laughs> um, but that's me uh, holding a candle in my hand while the Northern Lights shine behind me in the Northwest Territories. So uh, Northern Lights there, spot on. Well, I'm Roberto from the Expeditioners, coming to you from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Um, thank you very much to all those that uh, grab a listen of the show and have been sending me messages on Instagram and support and asking questions and whatnot. And I will be speaking to you tomorrow again. Expeditioner out. Have a good night. Bye-bye.